Well, good morning. Uh, happy to be back with you and uh, also very happy today uh, because my family and I are heading off right after the service on a vacation to British Columbia to visit some family and uh, uh, getting together with family is always a lot of fun um, uh, for, you know, two or three days and then uh, <laughs> things begin to change and you're pining away for the, the familiar and what's normal. I'm, I'm just teasing, sort of. Um, <laughs> But, you know, I've noticed as I've gotten older, I've be- I'm becoming one of those people. You know, when you get together with family you haven't seen for a while, and often you begin to reminisce, of course, and you start hearing some of the same stories. That's part of the fun. And you, you remember the, the same sort of uh, punchlines to jokes. And I'm beginning to become one of those family members that constantly tells the same things over and over. Do you have family members like that in your family that are kind of like me? Don't you love to be around them for a while? <laughs> uh, Lord, I pray that you would help my family enjoy my presence. I remember growing up uh, always having family reunions. I come from a pretty large family. Uh, My dad was one of 13 kids, and so I've got cascades of cousins uh, everywhere. Some I don't even know, I I don't even recognize. And I remember going back uh, to visit uh, in my, my homeland and uh, we just told my uncle we're coming. We came over. We had about an hour, and I had probably 25 of our local family members there. It was just, it was crazy. But our family reunions were always so fun because they were filled with a lot of things. Um, they were filled often with gag gifts, and uh, people would be exchanging these things, and uh, it was just uh, so much fun. One time we had a snipe hunt. Have you ever been on a snipe hunt? <laughs> Only about eight of you? <laughs> Ten, twelve, Okay. Uh, well, okay. I, for for the children's sake, I'm not going to explain what a snipe hunt is, but I won't be here next week. But uh, if you want to ask me two weeks from today, I'll be happy to share with you about the joy of snipe hunting. Joe, have you been on a snipe hunt? Do you know what it is? Oh, okay. All right. Good. Well, uh, snipe hunting is a lot of fun. It creates a lot of laughter. And that's, that's what a lot of my family did when we would get together for our family reunions. It was laughter and laughter and laughter. Reunions provide the opportunity to remember the, the particular individuals and, and the characters in your family. It's really a lot of fun. And you remember the good things. You, you reminisce at moments about the sadder parts, right? The, the shared grief that you've gone through as a family and some of the, the parts that have shaped you. You often pull out and you look at pictures, right? We pull out our phones and we have pictures on our telephones. We look at, at Facebook and other things. But When we begin to think about our family, we think longer than what technology is, and we have other uh, other things where we uh, have photographs. Does anybody have photo albums still in your home? I mean, do they still exist? I I brought a photo album just for a uh, to kind of help us think today about some of the ways that uh, you know we can remember and be reminded of certain people in our lives. Uh, because there's certain photos that won't find their way onto your phone or into your technologies. And um, uh, a way of reminiscing about uh, life and the way God has worked uh, in, through different people to touch and shape our lives. And this morning, we're going to look at a photo album of sorts in the Scripture. Uh, we're going we're to open to the, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. I want to invite you to do that, because when we get to this particular Gospel, uh, Luke tells us, at the beginning, that he, he's taken a lot of effort to go and talk to different people so that he can put together an orderly account 
of the life of Jesus. That doesn't necessarily mean chronological order, but it's, it's grouped in a particular way so that the message of Jesus can be shared. Luke, of course, would go on to write the, the book of Acts that describes the early history of the, the first churches and sorting out what it means now that Jesus isn't physically with us. He's gone back to heaven. How do we now live our Christian lives, and how do we live as a church together without the physical presence of Christ? Luke is the one who helps catalog all of that for us. And in, in Luke, the way this particular part of his gospel is, um, is structured, this, these few verses come right at the end of a really interesting section because uh, Jesus has been working to form this new community of grace and a community that's centered in the person and around the person, and they would eventually know the work of Jesus, what He did on the cross, and then they would begin after that, and after the resurrection, they would look back on the things He taught and begin to sort out, how do we now take that which Jesus taught us and to live it out in our life? So Luke, in this passage, these, these uh, various chapters, we're at the very end of this particular section of describing the community. And I want you to picture the scene because a lot of disciples have been uh, coming to Jesus. Disciples we know in the Scripture are those who are, are learning to trust Jesus and learning to become a student of Him, not just in an academic sense, but a student of life. They're watching what Jesus does. They're listening to the things He teaches. They, they're, they're looking and, and learning and catching a lot of the way Jesus acted and, and dealt with people so that they too could begin to do that for themselves. Let's read together Acts chapter 6, uh, Luke chapter 6, uh, beginning in verse 12. It's appropriate because we're talking about the twelve whom Jesus chose. One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose twelve of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who is called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Father, we pray this morning that your spirit would come and take what your word is already as a sharpened, edged instrument that you use in our lives to heal us like a surgeon's scalpel that, that may cut the body in order to bring healing so your Bible comes and, and it also can, can cut so that we might be healed and walk with you. So we pray that today, as always, that, that our ears might be open, our hearts might be softened, our knees might be pliable to bow before you so that you might now open our minds and, and speak into our hearts so that in all ways we might please you. We pray in Jesus' name together. Amen. Amen. So I want you to picture the story. Jesus has been gathering these disciples, right? These some of them are curious, some, some are coming and, and are committing their lives to Him. And he, he gathers them together and He goes out overnight and He spends the entire night praying, praying about this important decision that's to come. Because out of these, this larger group of disciples, He's going to choose 12 to, to work in and through in a particular way. 
And we're going to talk about the word apostle in a, a little bit later. He takes this, this particular scene and he spends the entire night praying. I don't know about you, I cannot recall any time in my life where I've, on purpose, stayed up all night praying. There have been times when I've stayed up late praying. There have been times when I've woken up early in the morning concerned with something, and I begin to pray about it. But I'm not sure I can remember a time when I've actually spent an entire evening praying. That's a significant thing. And part of the reason it's pointed out to us is because we are to understand that the decision that is about to come and and the choosing the calling out of the twelve is is, uh, a very significant event that happens in the ministry of Jesus and for the church. And um, and it's so important for us because uh, we find... Uh, This idea of prayer, we'll get to the reasons why, but this idea of Jesus going out and praying all night long um, underlines how important this moment was. And what I have noticed, I think, um, and have observed both in my own life and, and just in Christianity in general, is that probably in our day today, I think one of the areas of greatest spiritual loss for individual believers and the Christian community in general is a decrease in the fervency of prayer. And I don't know if you've noticed that both personally and corporately, uh, that, that there is, it seems increasingly more challenging to carve out and to make prayer a priority. Uh, for a whole host of reasons, I'm sure. And there are some of us I know that, that likely pray and pray regularly, and uh, there are times when we pray through things, and other times we simply stop are praying, perhaps even when an answer is right around the corner. Perhaps you've prayed for months about a particular issue, or even years. And for some reason, we stop at times. Maybe we've just simply grown weary. Or we've just kind of become impatient, wondering why God hasn't answered, and so the prayer is not working. Or we just simply get distracted. So one of the things the Scripture reminds us about the importance of prayer is that prayer isn't only for um, the answer seeker. Prayer isn't only for uh, when a problem is, arises in your life that you go seek solutions for that. It certainly involves that. But prayer is far more than that. In fact, in Luke chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus gives us already an example of the importance of prayer. And here's what it says. Right after he has healed uh, this man with the skin disease, uh, and all these other people are beginning to come and gather and seek him out so that they too might be healed by Jesus, he does a really, what I think is an unexpected thing, at least on the surface, in the moment. He, it says in verse 16, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Jesus is an example of not just in the midst of a need or in the midst of finding an answer to a question or a solution to a problem. Prayer is more than that and much deeper than that. Because Jesus points out how prayer becomes the vital lifeline in the development of our relationship with God. Jesus, as God the Son, is in this intimate ongoing, eternal relationship with God the Father. And it's borne out and exemplified in the way that He prayed. And so we too ought to examine our prayer life this morning and ask ourselves, when is it where we are driven most often to pray? Is it only when we have answers, seek answers to questions, or or need a resolution to a problem? Those are important reasons and good reasons. But prayer often, prayer ought to, 
uh, exemplify and describe your life outside of those moments too. I want you to picture the scene. Out of these, this large group of disciples gathered, Jesus chooses 12 of them because He wants to do something particular in them. And we know in other places in the Scripture, Jesus would take out of those twelve, there would be three others, Peter, James, and John, that He would spend even more time with and, and do other things to mentor and to train them. But all of these twelve are men who walked with Jesus. They talked with Jesus. They ate meals with Jesus and they shared His life. They took time to orient their whole living because of the importance of Christ in them and to them. And in these moments, they observed the way He ministered to people, the way He loved them and healed them and called them to repentance and forgave them. They had front row seats to observing miracles and watching Jesus do things like walk on water and and take water, ordinary water, and turn it into the most wonderful wine and and to produce uh, this wonderful meal for thousands of people when there was no fast food or 7-Elevens on the corners of the hillsides. They had this front row seat and when people needed um, teaching and learning like James and John and Peter and Thomas in particular. Who are these twelve? I'm glad you asked. Um, In the twelve, you've got some interesting characters. We don't know a lot of information about some of them, but if we were to flip through the, uh, the scrapbook, Today, we know that there's uh, at least two sets of brothers. James and John are brothers, and Peter and Andrew are brothers. We come and we, we would find pictures of occupations. Some of them were blue-collar workers, business owners, small business owners, but, but they worked with their hands, they, they fished. They're, they're at least one was a white-collar representative of the IRS. So just, there's this blend of, of blue-collar, white-collar business owners, um, all sorts of interesting people mixed in here. You, you have in the list, when the apostles are mentioned, you always have Peter listed first. And before Dwayne Johnson ever hit uh, professional wrestling or, the, uh, or Hollywood, there was another man who was named The Rock. We know him in the Bible as Simon. He had his name changed to Peter, which in Greek literally means rock. And when Jesus looks at Peter and the other eleven gathered, he says, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So you have Peter. And then if we turn the page in the scrapbook, we would find Peter's brother Andrew. And Andrew's often described as one who is bringing other people to come and be introduced to Jesus. In fact, uh, the Billy Graham crusade, uh, when they go into a city to uh, prepare a preaching event, they will uh, work alongside local churches and, and they begin to train local churches. Both they ask for at least two things. One is to be praying for the moment when the preaching and that event will happen. And number two is to prepare churches so that for those who feel led by God's Spirit to respond to Him and they enter this new life with Christ, they want churches locally to be able to follow up and to be able to fold them into their church communities. And one of the the ways that they describe different roles and different ways people in the local churches can participate, they they name have different names for them. One of them is uh, they encourage people in churches to become, if they feel so led and if they're so wired, to be like an Andrew. And somebody who fills the the role of an Andrew for a Billy Graham crusade is one who is challenged to to go into the the communities and into their circles of influence and into their relationships and to be inviting people to come 
when the moments happen, to come and be involved and to come and hear the preaching of God's Word uh, through that man. That, but that's, that's what Andrew was like. Some of these personalities are so interesting and so different from one another. Just like a good, healthy church, there are different personalities. We are not monolithic in the way that, that we um, uh, think about ourselves, and we're not cookie-cutter in the, the way that, that we uh, are produced either. But we are produced out of, out of the way God has wired us, and then the, the presence of Jesus forms in us. There's the other two sets of brothers, James and John. They, they're such an interesting pair. Uh, they, they get a nickname too. They're, they're nicknamed the Sons of Thunder. <laughs> and it was a well-deserved nickname. I, I, I think James and John must have been so intense. And uh, I think they're, they're probably, if they were Old Testament prophets, the, the prophet you would relate to them most clearly would probably be Elijah. You remember Elijah, who was the one stood on, um, not Mount Moriah, but uh, what was it, Mount Carmel, um, with the prophets of Baal. And Elijah, boy, if there was any prophet... Uh, you would equate with the word intensity. It would be Elijah. And James and John had a little of Elijah, that, that sort of quality of Elijah in them. And they so wanted people to respond and to come into the love and into the growth that Jesus had for them that when sometimes people didn't respond favorably to Jesus. Did you know that? <laughs> we don't talk about that a lot in the church. But even in the Bible, there were times when Jesus kind of he went to a, a little bit more serious place and the calling seemed a little bit harder in people's lives. And you, you get this image that people kind of like, this is too much, and they would walk away. And one of those incidents happened and James and John said, hey Jesus, you know, like good loving Christians, you know what they said? Hey Jesus, you want us to call down fire from heaven on them? <laughs> Great response. And Jesus said, no, not today. No, that's probably not the, the best way forward to help encourage them. But James and John were just so different. I mean, I picture Andrew as this gentle guy saying, Hey, I met somebody I'd like to introduce you to. His name's Jesus. Come here. But James and John, dude, you, need to, you better get your life right with Jesus and you better do it now or else something's going to happen. Right? So just different personalities. It's so amazing to watch what had happened. Matthew. Matthew, known as Levi, he's the tax collector. He's the one that, that good Jewish people of the day would not have liked. They would have thought they were sellouts. They were complicit with the Roman government that was um, you know, uh, oppressing them and had them under their thumb. And uh, when Matthew comes to faith in Christ, he has this party and he invites the people, the only people probably who would even want to hang out with him. And they were the, the non-religious people. They were the, the sinners just like he was. They were in the same boat, probably very marginalized like he was among the communities. And when he gathered this party and had Jesus come to introduce these friends to Jesus, the religious people fussed at him. And then they fussed at Jesus for being there too. And in some ways it's kind of understandable, but it's also sad. But Matthew, that was his way of, of working out the salvation that Jesus had called him to. And then you have Thomas. Thomas, you remember Thomas when uh, Jesus died on the cross and then he was raised again on the third day? Poor Thomas. Poor Thomas wasn't there. Um, I see a picture here of, uh, uh, of, the, of ten of the apostles gathered after Jesus was raised from the dead, but poor Thomas isn't there. And uh, he missed out. 
I mean, can you imagine poor Thomas? Jesus shows up after the resurrection and he's not there. And the other guys are saying, we saw Jesus. And he's like, well, that sounds like a pretty cool story, but uh, it's kind of hard for me to believe. I think I've got to see it with my own eyes, right? He's a very concrete thinker. And boy, Jesus met him in that need. And you remember what Jesus said? Go ahead and touch where the nails pierced me. And touch here where the spear went through my side. And you'll see that it really is me. And be reassured, Thomas. Thomas needed some reassuring. And Thomas had, I, tradition tells us, a wonderful life of leadership and ministry. You have a man named Simon the Zealot. Somebody who is either very zealous for the Word of God or perhaps even a part of the political party that was so passionate about overthrowing Roman rule. So interesting people. And then the lists always end with, you know who, Judas. Judas Iscariot. You know, Judas, that's just become one of those names in the Western world that nobody ever thinks of naming their son. Right? For good reason. Judas Iscariot. Uh, likely the Iscariot either means the place where he's from or it comes from an Aramaic word meaning falsehood or the false one. And every time we hear the name Iscariot, we're supposed to associate his life as one of unfaithfulness. And it's intended to bring sort of... Mm, that's a bummer at the very least. So these are some of the people that Jesus, out of the, the larger group of disciples, these twelve Jesus calls together... And they all served a purpose. He calls them apostles for Luke. The term apostle was almost a technical term for the twelve. So when you're reading Luke, anytime you read the word apostle, almost always it's referring back to this group of twelve. Uh, Matthias would take uh, the place of Judas as Luke continues to write in the first chapter of Acts. Um, and uh, so we'd have the, the twelve restored, the number twelve. No doubt that Jesus' usage of the term. The word apostle comes from the Greek word uh, apostolos, uh, which means the one who is sent out. And so they certainly go and do that. Um, and we see that happen in the book of Acts as that story unfolds. These are the twelve that, that Jesus calls out to work in a particular way. But, you know, even though we're not apostles today, we, we share some of the same expectations. And Jesus still looks at disciples with, with in much of the same way in that we are similar in these particular ways, that we are called just like they were. You and I are called to enter the life and the work of Jesus that is part of our calling in Christ. We are invited to learn from Jesus how we should live our lives. How we are to be in our married, married lives together. How to be parents to our children. How to guide and walk beside each other in brotherly and sisterly love. And to be empowered, not just to learn, boy, this is how socially I should be, but to be empowered to actually live out the calling of Christ in us. And then, like them, we too are sent to share the goodness of Jesus with the world around us. I don't know about you, but I envision a church here, Tiburon Baptist Church, continuing to grow in a church that is filled with people like Jesus who prayed regularly and fervently for the kingdom of God and for the needs of the people. The Scriptures remind us that the fervent prayer of a righteous person accomplishes so very 
much. That's the type of church I, I envision in my mind us continuing to grow toward and becoming more of. I envision in my mind and my heart a church where minds and hearts are so infused by the presence of Jesus that he, it becomes so evident that He is formed and being formed in us that His personality becomes more and more shaped in us so that the things we think and that which we do reflect more and more the way Jesus is and the way He would live your life if you were walking in your shoes, in your sandals, in your boots. I envision a church where mission and sending out and going out and sharing the goodness of God and the love of Christ is part of our ongoing and growing mission uh, that the world can know and hear that Jesus has come and that He continues to call people. He continues to call men and women and boys and girls to come and to unite their life with Him and to so deeply be rooted in His life that the fruit that comes forth is inexplicably just like Jesus and looks like Him and smells like Him and tastes like Him because we are His and He is ours. Father in Heaven, that is our prayer this morning. My prayer for us today, starting with me, that we would continue to grow in our faith individually as a church, that prayer would perhaps uh, become a, a more prominent part of our lives. And I pray today that uh, each of us might examine the role that prayer has and may go here forth from this place asking you in what ways has prayer diminished in my life and heart in recent times? In what way am I missing the opportunity to deepen and to develop my relationship with you through prayer? And how am I neglecting that? And give me wisdom, God. Give us wisdom to know how to restore that and, and to take the courageous steps to structure our life if we need to differently so that prayer can be a more regular part of our day-to-day reality. And God, we pray that, that You might continue to help us to see the ways in which You want to shape us to be more and more conformed to the image of Jesus because it's not a straitjacket that wraps us when we do that. It is a liberating, chain-breaking, handcuff-removing reality in You because our world grows and our lives deepen and our hearts leap for joy at the prospect of living with You and going with You into Your world. And into that world, help us to be people, help us to be a church that always wants to share Your love, that always wants to share the goodness of who You are, and then to invite others into it, into Your kingdom, into Your life, and to become part of this church or a similar church here in the county. So God, these are some of our prayers today. And we pray that Your Spirit would guide us into the things that You desire for us today, tomorrow, and all days, we pray. In the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.